Okay, we're back, and I'm going to continue listening to this amazing documentary. It should be part of the hashtag new national curriculum. This is Christopher Senate Govan Prez, and welcome back to my show. <coughs> it's currently called That's What Up Show, the hashtag That's What Up Show. Uh, with just a percent of government praise on the campaign trail is the kind of subtitle. Anyway, so uh, we're getting caught up on our ancient world history, which um, you know they don't even teach that, but they should teach that in our new curriculum going forwards, because it doesn't just go back to. Um, it goes way past uh, ancient Egypt, <clears throat> and everybody should know this stuff. This is a to me, I'm learning tons of stuff. So I think this is a great documentary. It's called the Ancient Ones Documentary Eight Hour Box Set on YouTube. It's free, of course. Okay, and I'm going to have to turn down this music for y'all. And so, yeah, we we did. I I um, watched this with you last night. Wow. The heck? Okay, I'm going to turn on this. No, Kitty, this is not a good time. Okay, I'm going through like uh, Jesus Jones. This is, by the way, this is Roots Massive Part Six, 70s and Early 80s Reggae and Roots Reggae Selection. So we did. It's pretty amazing. Um, the the pictures, and I'm going to I'm going to be painting. These pictures are, you know, some pictures, like a series of, of these, and I'm going to be, I'm going to be like um, practicing cuneiform. I'm going to do a, a piece that's, uh, you know, just like take this picture. I took a picture of this cuneiform writing, and I'm going to, uh, you know, make a wedge that would make the um, similar similar um, shapes <clears throat> and uh, it's a way for me to study the language I did this with with Chinese like a rudimentary form of Chinese I love those pictographs ideograms they're called anyway so um voila Noah Kramer the Dean of Sumerian Studies endorses it as a research tool he has suggested that King's List if used with discrimination and understanding provides us with a historical framework of inestimable value. This is beautiful right here, this picture of a of a um of an ox. 
Mesopotamia, the cradle of civilization. Our story does not begin with the creation of the world. It starts with the arrival of intelligent life on Earth, the people we know historically as the Proto-Sumerians. It is not precisely known when these ancestors of ours came here or why. It is surmised that they arrived here quite some time before the worldwide deluge. It was also long before the advent of modern man or Homo sapiens. It is generally agreed that these... I've heard uh, about 200,000 years ago, to maybe 240,000 years Proto-Sumerians were the origin of our Western civilization. Their beginnings were in the area called Mesopotamia, literally the land between the two rivers. Tigris the and Euphrates. Um, they, um, that's what our textbooks tell us in school. They just give a cursory uh, mention of Mesopotamia and that it means in the middle of two rivers, the Tigris and the Euphrates, and then it kind of like moves out in like the development of agriculture and and um, um, I want to say I don't know if they say writing, but I think they say like agriculture or something, and and um, and uh, but they don't they don't make the connection that the Bible does. You know, Abraham was from Ur, which is in modern day Iraq, I believe is reported in their descendants' records, the Sumerians, Akkadians, and Babylonians. These records Sumerians, Akkadians, and Babylonians. Babylon, uh, I've been wondering why Why uh, does do Rast, does Rasta music talk about Babylon so much? And So maybe they're onto something that we don't know. Um, you know, the... the um, that Babylon, Babylon in the current context means basically the police state kind of. And uh, from what I understand, I've done a couple podcasts before about Rastafarianism because I consider myself a, a converted, late converted convert to Rastafarianism. And it's not uh, pastafarianism, it's rastafarianism, like as in Jar Rastafari, Haile Selassie. Written on thousands of cuneiform tablets. Tablets, it was on clay, that's why we still have them. And they've been, they've been, um, you know, I'll give you some background to this. The Sumerian tablets, the, uh, there's only like uh, 15 thousand references to this on social media I, I noticed Sumerian tablets like nobody's talking about Sumerian tablets but um they're it's a comprehensive fucking library that survived because it's written on clay so that that kind of teaches you one thing about if you want your culture to survive write everything on clay the land is known as Mesopotamia and the cradle of civilization lies mainly between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. Originating in the mountains of Armenia in the north, the two rivers move in a gradually converging course down a vast and grassy plain to the Persian Gulf. The area was made up of marsh and lagoon in early... Okay, I've seen how cancer can affect the oh people my God, I care about. They should That's ban why. this. This should be banned to, um, for Big Pharma to advertise on our airwaves. Because basically what it's doing is 
um, polluting our sanity, basically, uh, you know, as in, um, you know, mentioning all these diseases and side effects and, and, uh, symptoms it's planting the seed of sickness in your mind i'm convinced of it and i i'm convinced that's why they do it okay let's get back to the show that is today an intensive river canal system to irrigate and drain the plain gave rise to a dense population and a great culture the lower part of Mesopotamia became a very fertile garden. Probably better than modern-day America. What are you barking at? Hey, no, 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 you stay. Or the abode of the righteous ones. You stay. It was the location of, hey. and gave its name to, the biblical garden of Eden. While the southern part of Mesopotamia came to be called Sumer, the area farther up the plain of the near convergence of the two rivers was called Akkad. The Akkadian city, bab Ilu became prominent and gave its name to the entire region, Babylon. Babylonia. Babylonia. After the deluge, the Sumerian cities were rebuilt and resettled on the alluvial plain of Mesopotamia. Since the oldest of these date to about 3500 BC and was built on virgin soil, it is clear that they were not built upon the ruins of the former city. This is because the Persian Gulf waters have risen some 150 feet since the deluge, inundating the former municipalities. Hmm. This will be discussed later. This what is why I want to study, I wanted to be an underwater archaeologist. Naki, as they called themselves, to this planet we don't know. But from their legends and myths, we can deduce that it was probably for commercial purposes. According they, um, they came here, there were several sets of aliens if you will um quote-unquote aliens extraterrestrials is a better word i think uh that came to earth from the pleiades and the dog star canis canis the dog star and that's probably i i figure i think that's why anubis has a head of a, a head of a jackal maybe like people from the dog star they have the dog heads and Venus, there's like, uh, I think cat, like uh, Set had a cat head. And it was kind of female. She had a sister or something. I want to say Hawthor, but I don't think. <laughs> hey, you stay. You stay here. Go have a seat. No, you stay here, cutie. According to the Sumerian kinglet, they came here over 240,000 years ago. 240,000. This document describes the activities of the antediluvian Anunnaki as kingship descended from heaven. And kingship descended. So this this is where our system of kingship comes from. These uh, the Anunnaki, the so-called the fallen fallen ones, they fell to earth from the heavens from established at Eridu, Space, the Eric of the Bible. Here, two kings ruled for 64,800 years. Two kings ruled for 64,000 years. Here, two kings ruled for 64,800 years. Eridu was abandoned as the capital, and the kingship was moved to Bat-Tibira, where three kings reigned for 108,000 years. Then, 
the kingship was transferred to Larak, and one king ruled for 28,800 years. The fourth city named Sipar became the capital, and where another king, Enmedurana, reigned for 21,000 years. This Enmedurana is essential to our story, for as we shall see, he was the Enoch of the Old Testament. The kingship was then transferred to Shurupak, where one king ruled for 18,600 years. Thus, as the tablet summarized, eight kings ruled over five cities for a total of 241,200 years. The king list then states laconically, the flood swept over the land, putting an end to all commercial and other activities. These vast numbers have been a puzzle to scholars. They are consistent throughout the king list and therefore are not erroneous. While a rational explanation has thus far escaped Earth, historians, most researchers feel there must be some logical answer to these fanciful numbers, since a parallel can be found in the enormous lifespans of the antediluvian patriarchs. These might not be Earth years as we know them. A divine year or year of Anne is often mentioned in the cuneiform tablets, and although not fully understood, is probably not equivalent to our typical earth year. A reflection of this is found in the Old Testament, Psalms 94, where one divine day is equal to a thousand years. This same statement, or something very similar, is also written in the Quran. It was also not unusual for the ancients to compute time by other than standard earth years, as, for example, in the Book of Jubilees. A year in this book equates to 50 regular years. Furthermore, there is an indication that the years of the king list... You need to tell me what really happened in here tonight, now. Anyway, been all over the world. got some pumpkin pie that I made. made like have an underlying logic, as it is found in their system of enumeration. Their numerical system was sexagesimal in character, but not strictly so. They also used the factor of 10 and 6. Thus, the sequence 1, 10, 60, 360, 3600 takes on a special meaning in their mythology. The number 60 held a special significance to the Sumerians, for in their system of numerical rank, it was the highest number and assigned to their chief god, An. If the duration of the various terms of kingship is presented graphically, it becomes evident that this sexagesimal system must underlie the astounding numbers of the king list. Called a Shah by the Sumerians, the number 3600 appears to have a special meaning in this list. It can be seen that, with a slight adjustment, the years of the reign of the Sumerian kings are divisible by this number. It indicates that the term for the rule of a Sumerian antediluvian king was presumably a shah and was renewable every 3,600 years. The ruling gods of the Sumerian pantheon. The Sumerians and Akkadians did not call their visitors gods. It is in the later cultures that the notion of divine beings filtered into our language and thinking. They called them Elu, or the lofty ones, from which the Semitic Eli and El of the Hebrew evolved. Interestingly, Prince Yutu's name in the Mayan language was Xochipoli. The Western word God has come to mean superior spiritual beings, far removed from humans, 
and incapable of defect or error. On the other hand, humans are considered a blemished, incomplete being, burdened with original sin and destined to worship and pay homage to an unreachable god. The Sumerian gods were far from spiritual. They were real, live, physical beings capable of committing serious errors and misjudgments. The Sumerian gods regarded humans as a convenience and nothing more. They supplied their wants, kept their cities, and provided cannon fodder for their various ventures. These accusations may seem like hyperbole to the viewer, but we shall see by subsequent events that this was indeed the case. Although the term Anunnaki is used generically to apply to all the proto-Sumerians who came to this planet, it means literally the sons of An, their great god. In the antediluvian period, many of these Anunnaki descended and colonized Earth. According to the Enuma Elish, the Babylonian myth of creation, 300 Anunnaki came to Earth while another 300 remained above Earth. These were called Igigi, the senior gods. An, the father of the Anunnaki. An, or Anu in Akkadian, meant he of the heavens. Whenever his name was written, it was always depicted as a star. He was the great progenitor and senior god who stood above all the other gods. His abode and seat of authority were in the heavens, or U-Sag-Anna, literally the chief city of the heavens. He descended to earth only on special occasions, in times of crisis or for ceremonial reasons. On earth, he would stay atop the ziggurat in his temple, the Eana, or House of An in Uruk, his sacred city. The word ziggurat comes from the Babylonian zakur and means to be high or raised up. It signifies the top of a mountain or a stage tower, and such a tower provided an artificial platform on the flat Mesopotamian plain. Anu had three children, two sons, Enlil and Enki, and a daughter, Ninhursag. The division of authority between his two sons caused much dissension. The senior gods spent much of their time settling disputes between them, as well as his grandchildren. For example, we can refer to the vengeful birth of Lord Hellespontiacus, in which it was mentioned that Anu had to settle the dispute between Princess Inanna and Queen Ereshkigal over the ownership of Dumuzi, who eventually became the public lover of Princess Inanna, Enlil, the chief of the expedition to Earth. Although he was the younger son, Enlil became the most powerful god of the Sumerian pantheon next to An. Literally, the lord of the command, Enlil was commander of the expedition of the Anunnaki to Earth. He had many appellations, which described his authority, Lord of Heaven and Earth, Lord of all the lands, Giver of the kingships, Prince of Heaven, Chief of Earth. Enlil was the archetype for the God of Palestine and Syria, the El of the Semites, and particularly the generic El or Elohim of the Bible. Enlil made sure that the decrees of the gods in council were carried out against humanity. He is often depicted with bow and arrow, symbolic of the powerful weapons at his disposal to enforce his authority. Enlil disliked humanity and only tolerated humans as necessary to provide for the welfare of the gods. It was Enlil, according to the Sumerian story of the deluge, who brought on the destruction of humanity. He had become irritated by the noise of the boisterous humans, which interfered with his rest. 
The temple dedicated to him at Nippur was called the Duran Ki, or Bond of Heaven and Earth, from where he directed the activities of humanity. This structure is described in part in the cuneiform tablets as some type of communication or control center. From his temple atop the Ekor at Nippur, it was said that he had eyes that could scan the land. The cuneiform oh. tablets state that Binoculars. he raises the beams that search the heart of all the lands. The equipment used sounds very much like some sort of modern-day radar or scanning device. Enlil's rule was at times turbulent. Although he was the chief god, he was exiled and stripped of his powers at one point. This was due to his liking of an earthly woman, and only after marrying and making her his chief wife did the pantheon relent and let Enlil return to resume his authority. Enlil named her Ninlil and gave her status equivalent to his own. The result of this episode was a son called Nanar, who became Enlil's favorite. Nanar was given rank in the pantheon second only to him, and Enki and honors and lands commensurate with his position. According to Sitchin, Enlil is the equivalent of Zeus in Greek mythology, who also equated Prince Nanar with the Greek Hermes and Egyptian Thoth. Because the parents of Hermes were Zeus and Maya, it logically follows that Ninlil is the equivalent of Maya. Enki, the chief operations officer, Although he was Anne's firstborn, Enki was given a lower rank than his younger brother Enlil, who had been born to Anne by another wife. By the laws of Sumerian inheritance, Enlil became heir to the throne. Lingering resentment over his disinheritance and the growing competition over who would control activities on Earth brought Enki into direct conflict with his brother Enlil. Enki, or Lord of the Earth, was also called Ea or he whose house is on the water, a tacit reference to his water place or Abzu, from where he carried out operations when he first arrived on Earth. Poseidon. Enki was all things to the expedition. Chief engineer, chief scientist, chief of mining, and more importantly, the creator of humanity. As a master engineer, he supervised turning the marshlands of Lower Mesopotamia into a veritable paradise. He planned and supervised the construction of canal systems, the diking of the rivers, and the draining of the marshlands. In a self-laudatory poem, he boasts of making the marshlands a haven for birds and fishes, directing the invention and use of the plough and yoke, starting animal husbandry, and bringing the construction arts to earth to raise the cities. Enki had many epithets. He was the god of wisdom, the god of mining, the lord of the flowing waters, the lord of the sea and shipbuilding. He is often portrayed with a stream and fish flowing from his shoulders, symbolic of his capacity to provide navigable waters and to ensure... I heard he actually had... He's um, kind of like a merman. He had, uh, you know, a tail of a mermaid. Um, he's depicted as... as have fish in um, a lot of images of him and Michael Desarian talks about um, an account an early account that he, um, in the early days he would swim into the 
city to um, kind of like check on his check on his wards potable water to the cities territory. of Mesopotamia his home was Eridu that is home built far away a veiled reference to the fact that this was a colony Eridu was the first city built by the Anunnaki on earth and was located on the edge of the watered plain or Eden it is thought that due to this area being home to ibex and mountain goats the goat with a fishtail became symbolic of the god Enki and often appear on Sumerian seals and monuments. As the god of mining, Enki is often shown with a human miner holding an ingot of metal on a carrying pole. Metal was molded in a cylinder form to facilitate metals being carried on a pole with a handle. He is also shown at times with his two sons, Gibil and Nergal, who were in charge of mining activities. So this lends credence to the the argument that these extraterrestrials came to Earth is they needed to mine and um, for metals. I've heard uh, Christopher Sitchens, the, the the scholar that they're there, he refers to a couple times. was recently vindicated he was he was just kind of he was raked over the coals for the longest time now he's dead and uh, now he's vindicated like what his translations of the Sumerian tablets and so yeah the, these, these extraterrestrials came here they needed to mine um, for um, gold But it sounds like it was other metals as well, and and that uh, the Adamic race we were uh, we were created as a slave race, all of us, to do the grunt work for this Anunnaki. As the creator of humanity, he is often depicted with the tree or shrub of life. The serpent was also Enki's symbol, presumably for its ability to shed its skin and achieve a sort of immortality. The representation of the serpent coiled around the tree of life later evolved into Caduceus of the ancient Greeks. Enlil is best remembered as the god who brought on the deluge, while Enki is best recognized as the one who saved humanity by his timely warning to the Sumerian Noah. Enki's unauthorized creation of modern humans, or Homo sapiens, further estranged him from Enlil. The antagonism between the two and their children erupted again after the deluge, keeping the Middle East in turmoil for thousands of years. Nin Hursag, the chief medical officer. Nin Hursag, or Lady of the Mountaintop, was the fourth senior Sumerian god. She was a half-sister. Isis. She's um, the equivalent of Isis. And I think, too, that um, uh, Guan Yin, which is a 
said to be an um, like an Asian Chinese personification of the Buddha. She's a healer. The, um, she she has a bot a little bottle usually, and uh, she's a healer like this medical physician um, of Nin Horsag. Sister to Enki and Enlil, Nin Horsag was of higher rank in earlier days than Enki and preceded his name when they appeared together. She was later reduced in status and practically disappeared from the pantheon as a significant or influential god. And why is that? Nin Horsag is the equivalent of the Egyptian Isis, which we know from Greek mythology as the Greek goddess Hera, later renamed Juno by the Romans. Hera it Juno. may be that she was eclipsed by the rising star of Inanna or Ishtar, who injected herself into all Sumerian and Western affairs. In the Western lands, such as Palestine, Syria and Lebanon, Ishtar appeared in several forms. As the mother goddess, she displaced Ninhursag. Her role was that of the love goddess. She was also known Venus. for her militant role as the warrior goddess. Ninhursag is also known by many other names, such as Ninti, the lady who gives life, Ninma, the exalted lady, Mamu, the creator goddess. Uh, she's probably the the one that resurrected Osiris, Isis. This is where the word Mama originates. In the lands of the Incas, she was known as Pachamama. Ninhursag was given the antediluvian city of Shurupak, where she reigned as the chief medical officer and chief nurse for the expedition members. Her sacred symbol was the umbilical cord and the cutter knife. Enki and Ninhursag directed biological experiments in the laboratories atop her ziggurat at Shurupak and in Where's Enki's that? floating headquarters, which led to the creation of the first primitive human called a Lulu. This was done at Enlil's request. Enlil required a creature that could take over the burdensome workload now being performed by Un's offspring. Following formulas and processes provided by Enki, Nin Hursag produced a worker, but one with a significant failing. It could not reproduce itself. By going a step further and modifying this primitive being by giving it predominant mammal characteristics, Enki and Nin Hursag overreached their commission. In crossbreeding the Lulu with the wild primitive man of the period, Neanderthal man, the they achieved a new worker How type, modern man or Homo sapiens, better known as Cro-Magnon Man. It was this activity that brought down the wrath of Enlil. In further diluting the Anunnaki strain, he saw it as a direct threat to their survival. The numerical rank of the gods. There was an exact pecking order among the gods of the Sumerian pantheon, who were assigned numerical ranks based on a system of 60. This number represented a unique, almost mystical significance for the Sumerians. Each major god was given a numerical name, which represented his rank in the hierarchy. In this way, numbers were used as a sort of cryptography. The numerical grades of the Sumerian ruling deities were assigned in descending order of importance. Anu, 60. 
Antu, 55. Enlil, 50. Ninle, 45. Enki, 40. Ninki, 35. Nana, 30. Ningal, 25. Utu, 20. Inana, 15. Ishkur, 10. Ninhursag, 5. Numbers ending in 5 were assigned to the distaff side. According to Sumerian tradition, only males could command, a policy that caused much distress in the affairs of the Middle East, for Inanna refused to accept her status and intrigued and plotted almost continuously to gain political power. The number 50 represented the rank of Enlil and his position as chief of all the activities on Earth. After the deluge, when the younger gods challenged the authority of the older gods for leadership, Enlil's military aide, Ninurta, assumed the title 50, and therefore claimed the mantle of leadership, which apparently had been vacated by Enlil. Besides Ninurta, there was another claimant to the leadership. Marduk, the oldest son of Enki, was unranked in the pantheon. He also assumed the title of 50, as he proclaimed himself chief of Babylon. With the Babylon. eclipse of the senior gods after the deluge, what does there was a scramble free? for power among the younger gods, Nanar, Utu, and Ishkur, with Inanna seemingly always involved. It brought much disorder to the nations of the Middle East. This manifested itself in constant warfare among the cities of Mesopotamia, which became pawns in the struggle of the competing gods. Second tier of the pantheon, the younger ruling gods. Only the sons, daughters, wives, and grandchildren of Enlil were given numerical rank in the pantheon. But the sons of Enki did not participate, perhaps because they were assigned geographic areas and activities away from Mesopotamia after the deluge, a precaution on the part of Enlil to prevent conflict between the cousins, but presumably also to retain control of Mesopotamia for his family. The Sumerian gods were always depicted graphically with horned crowns. In later days, the senior gods were represented by a horned crown sitting on an altar. When the names of the gods were written on cuneiform tablets, they were always preceded by pictographic symbols of a star or dingir. The term dingir was a combination of din, meaning the righteous one, and gir, the word for a bird or flying object. In other words, the symbol Dingir meant that the name which followed was that of a god who was separated from common humanity by his ability to move about by celestial chariot or craft. Each god had his sacred animal and symbol. These can be clearly seen on the boundary stones or markers used by the Babylonian dynasties of the second millennium BC. Nanar, the legitimate ruler of Mesopotamia. Ninlil, Nanar, the Bright One was the favorite son of Enlil. After the deluge, he was assigned all the lands of Mesopotamia, Syria, and Palestine. His sacred city was Ur, or capital city, and his sacred symbol was the crescent moon. Abraham. This symbol so dominated post-Diluvian times that it later was adopted by Islam, just as the cross yeah, of the, Shamash the, um, was adopted by... The flood story is also told... Uh, talked about in Sumerian tablets, but it's a, it's a bit different. The Christians. His Semitic name, Sin, the Sinai region was named after him, is really not a Semitic name, but a loan word from Sumerian Suen or Zuen, meaning the wise lord. 
Since Sumerian names can be read forward and backward, Zuen may be the Enzu, or the Lord Zu, who stole the Tablets of Destiny from Enlil and were retrieved by Ninurta with the aid of Ishkor and weapons supplied by Enki. This is strongly suggested by the notable absence of Nanar, Sin, from the myth of Zu. It also explains Sin's falling out of favor at certain times in the history of Mesopotamia and the challenge of Ninurta to the rank of 50. Utu, Chief of the Space Facilities Utu, or the Shining One, was a grandson of Enlil and with Inanna was a twin born to Nanar. Utu's city in antediluvian times was the space platform at Sipar, from where the freighters laden with metals shuttled to and from the orbiting spaceship. After the deluge, Sipar remained his sacred city, although he moved his space activities to the west to the land of Lebanon, where Baalbek became the new space platform. Baalbek. In the western lands... Okay, Baalbek is a megalithic structure, which means that these... Instead of, like, bricks or something... Um, small. These are massive. They're, they're bricks, but they're massive bricks, like 50 tons. Which we wouldn't even be able to move right now. So, uh... This was, they were probably giants, you know, they're, they're probably the giants, the race of giants that the Bible talks about, and by the way, giant skeletons have been found all over the world, and spirited away by the Smithsonian, for example. He was known by his Semitic name of Shamash. The city of Baalbek was called Bet Shamash in the Old Testament, or in other words, the House of Shamash. The symbol of Shamash was the four-pointed star against a disc with rays. Later, the winged solar disc became associated with Shamash. He subsequently became known as the God of Justice in the Babylonian pantheon, as shown on a table circa 900 BC found at Sippar. Shamash was worshipped as the sun god, who daily traversed the skies, and the one from whom no secrets were hidden, probably because he surveyed all that went on below. In this tablet, two horned gods in heaven hold divine cords, which connect with the altar of Shamash below. The cords represent his connection between heaven and earth. As the divine cord holder, it was said he traversed the skies and measured the bounds of the earth. In Greek mythology, Utu Shamash was known as the sun god Apollo, later renamed Helios by the Romans. In Egypt, he was known as the god Hippocrates. Shamash was often depicted with wings, indicative of his role as chief astronaut of the Anunnaki. An Assyrian relief from the palace of Ashurnazipal II at Nimrod shows him in a winged wheel hovering over the symbolic tree of life. It is flanked by two nobles and two winged genies, each bearing the symbols of immortality, the pinecone and the situla, or water bucket. Drunvalo Melchizedek talks about the fact that the pinecone forms in the perfect Fibonacci sequence. Thus, if the Fibonacci sequence is indeed incorporated into the mathematical structure of the Great Pyramid of Egypt, as Drunvalo suggests, 
then this symbol of a pine cone relating to Utu could indicate this as well. Inanna, love goddess and chief troublemaker. Inanna, or the beloved of Anu, was a twin to Shamash and granddaughter of Anu. Since Anu descended to earth only occasionally to visit his sacred city of Uruk, Inanna convinced him to let her rule the city in his absence. Later, she became the patron deity of Agade, just before its destruction. Better known by her Semitic name of Ishtar, she is depicted as a powerful goddess throughout the post-Diluvian period in the western lands of Mesopotamia. Her sacred symbol, the eight-pointed star, is always predominant among the signs of the ruling gods. Because of her gender, Inanna or Ishtar could not legally rule, yet she managed to inject herself into politics everywhere. One poem describes her descent to the netherworld to seize power from her older sister Eresh Kigal. Another myth relates how she managed to trick Enki into giving her at least some of the destiny tablets, which gave her the authority to install herself as ruler of Uruk. In the famous Gilgamesh epic, she favors the hero of the epic who resoundingly rejects her advances, thereby enraging her to the extent that she tried to destroy Gilgamesh. The image presented by the Sumerian and Babylonian literature is a mixed one. Inanna the was the love goddess on the one hand, and that of them. Doesn't that sound familiar? That story of the of the uh, a woman who was or a goddess who was who favored somebody. Paris, remember, like goddess Aphrodite, Venus. Those are Greek and Roman names. Um, she and was it Helen of Troy like favored Paris and um, he chose with Helen of Troy so Aphrodite was angry with him and uh, and so um, sought some retribution. It's, it's, this is the same stories in the Greek and Roman mythology, that's my point. To the militant warrior on the other. She interfered in the affairs of Mesopotamia and dominated the pantheon of the western lands of Palestine, Lebanon, Syria and Anatolia. In those regions, she was known under various names, such as Ishtar, Ashtoret, Astarte, Ashara and Anat. Inanna was the prototype for both warrior and love goddesses in the Mediterranean area, like and later goddess became of, the model for the two Greek goddesses, Pallas Athena and Aphrodite. In Greco-Roman mythology, Inanna was known as Aphrodite, Venus, and in Egypt as Hathor. Athena was a different goddess entirely, a warrior goddess who gave her name to the city of Athens, and the consort of the Greco-Roman warrior god Hephaestus, Vulcan, Typhon. These two warriors were known in Egypt, respectively, as Sechmet and Ptah, Ishkor, Lord of Anatolia and God of the Old Testament. The youngest son of Enlil, Ishkor, or He of the Mountain Land, was assigned Anatolia as his domain. Ishkor attempted some inroads into the politics of Mesopotamia, but mostly he limited his activities to trying to extend his sphere of influence and control 
over Palestine or Canaan. Don't forget that Anatolia was the land of the Amazons, the legendary birth goddesses who revolted against the emperor and empress. Better known by his Semitic name Adad, Ishkor was the god of thunder and lightning. He is often depicted holding the forked lightning bolt. Adad was in all probability the Yahweh of the Old Testament, who tried to use Abraham at first and later Moses to extend his sphere of influence over the land of Canaan. This role is discussed below. The Nibiruan Tablets of Destiny Control over the city's operations and the activities of humanity was exercised through a system of directives and formulas called the Medes in Sumerian. The exact meaning of the word is lost in antiquity. Still, it seemed to denote a set of laws. These laws are discussed in detail in Wars of Gods and Men and Hamlet's Mill. Although sometimes they appear to be physical objects that one could pick up and carry, possession of these laws gave the owner absolute control of a particular aspect of life or behavior. Kind of like the keys to These the laws were meant to be released gradually and sparingly to benefit humanity. Uh, Our primary source of information is the story Inani and Enki, where civilization is divided into over 100 elements, each of which required a law to keep it functioning. Some 60-odd lines are readable in this myth, and they include, for example, kingship, priestly office, wisdom, peace, counsel, judgment, falsehood, art, musical instruments, weapons, libel, law, and the destruction of cities. Libel. <laughs> this myth concerns the successful attempt of Inanna to extract some of these laws from Enki. According to the story, Enki had prepared a sumptuous feast to entertain the beautiful but ambitious granddaughter of Anu. Seeing that Enki had drunk too much wine, and was inebriated. The opportunistic Inanna saw her chance and asked Enki for seven significant laws, to which he foolishly agreed. These laws embraced the functions necessary for running a city, such as managing a temple, warfare and weapons, music and the arts, writing and mathematics, and many wood and metal crafts. Later, when Enki sobered up, he realized what he had done and sent his chamberlain by swift boat of heaven to pursue the fleeing Inanna and retrieve the laws. Inanna managed to outwit Enki's messenger, however, and arrived at her adopted city of Uruk, much to the acclaim of the citizenry. Inanna boasted that for all practical purposes she was now a ruler, for she had the official trappings and authority of a monarch. These laws would confer authority to the owner, and absolute control by making the owner impregnable to weapons. This attribute is described in the Sumerian story of the myth of Zu. As a god serving as a retainer to Enlil, Zu plotted a palace revolution by trying to seize control of the laws that Enlil had carelessly left unattended. It was previously suggested that the culprit who attempted the coup d'etat was probably none other than Nanar Singh. As Enlil was taking a bath, Zu conceived the idea of stealing these laws, contending that these divine decrees would give him control over the Anunnaki and humanity and place him in command of the Pantheon. Zu made good his boast and escaped with the laws. The Pantheon was thrown into complete disarray by this alarming development. 
and Lil declared that someone must retrieve the laws to prevent Zoo from usurping the authority of the gods. But it seemed that control of the laws also made Zoo impregnable, giving him the ability to deflect and nullify all weapons sent against him. Exploding arrows, sounding suspiciously like rocket missiles, were launched against him, but were deflected by some sort of force field around the mountain redoubt that Zoo had fortified. Finally, Enki forged a new special weapon in his laboratory. It was given to Ninorta, the military aide of Enlil, who eventually defeated Zoo. Thus ended the worst threat ever experienced by the Sumerian ruling deities. Similar symbols of authority are mentioned in the scriptures, where it is often stated that the possession of specific divine names conferred extraordinary power. Were the laws of the Sumerians the same as the divine names of the scriptures? When Enoch, the antediluvian patriarch, was deified upon his ascent to the heavenly abode, he was given 70 names, according to the Hebrew Apocalypse of Enoch. Also called the First Book of Enoch, this document is believed to have originated in Babylonian Jewry and is attributed to Rabbi Ishmael, the renowned Palestinian scholar who died in 132 AD. These 70 names conferred... I should do a podcast on the Book of Enoch because he uh, apparently talks about seeing um, extraterrestrials lads. Power and authority on Enoch second only to the chief deity. The divine names gave Enoch the power to smite kings, elevate the humble, subdue rulers, confer wisdom, make judgments, and control the procession of time and the seasons. Presumably, the latter meant the authority to adjust the calendar when necessary, such as when worldwide catastrophe made the old calendars obsolete. According to the Sumerian king list, there were only five cities that held the kingship before the deluge, or in other words, which served as capital cities to the anti-diluvian Anunnaki. The order in which they are given is the succession in which they ruled, although they were probably all built at about the same time. The reason for moving the capital from one city to the other may have been political, but on the other hand, the shifting of the watercourses due to periodic flooding and the drying up of the southern part of the Mesopotamian Valley as the climate changed, may have been the compelling reason for moving the capital to more northern and readily accessible cities. Strangely enough, the king list does not mention... They keep showing this image of Enlil or Enki with, uh, like, a horse, horse's body. Or is it like, uh, dude, I wonder if that's what he really looked like. Okay. <clears throat> By the way, that really annoying um, sound, it was an amber alert that didn't, um, wasn't closed. So I'm going to take a picture of this. And uh, yeah, it's got a long beard. It's got kind of like a ball sack of a of a hairdo, and it's got like horns as ears and and wings. 
like a Pegasus and his, I think that's like a horse's body, but it almost looks like a uh, cat, almost look, or a dog. Maybe it's a dog. Maybe a food dog. And that's where food dogs come from. <clears throat> but, uh, now if they, if they, um, that could be what they actually look like, man. If they're living like 20, 40,000 years. Yeah. And, um, you know, they, they, um, they brought their favorite animals. It's kind of seed. It's it was, they call it a seeding of the planet. In the cities of Uruk and Nippur, which were also built before the deluge, these were designed as ceremonial and sacred cities, which probably accounts for their being left out of the list. The five cities of Nip the king list. Nippal. Nippal. That's Nepal. Must be Nepal. Strictly operational. They were operational cities built by Enki and his engineers to obtain rare metals, process them, and ferry the ingots. Rare metals. The five cities were a cohesive group, each providing an essential function to the primary purpose of the expedition. Their function is alluded to in their names and is as follows. Eridu, operational headquarters of Enki. Literally home-built far away, Eridu was the first city. At this time, Eridu was the center of all operations on Earth. Here, Enki supervised the draining of the marshlands, raising the cities, establishing agriculture and animal husbandry, and generally making the land more hospitable and productive. From Eridu, Enki also directed the development of African mines, the transportation of ores, and the processing of the metals at Bat-Tibira, Eridu was the first city built on this planet, which probably gave our world its name, Earth, the third planet in our solar system. The origin of the word Earth is unknown, and its origin was lost in antiquity, but logically and linguistically, it can be traced back to Eridu. Also, Enki's alternative name was Air, which just happens to occur in the word Earth. The name assigned to their... Arian. By the way, uh, you know, the Michael Tassarian goes uh, talks at length about, you know, the corruption of Aryan that's that's occurred. It used to mean like a nobility of like a um, learned one. To their planet by its occupants can be traced back to the root Eridu. In Old High German, Earth is Erda. It is Erte in Middle English. Era in Greek, Eretz in Aramaic, and Eretz in Hebrew, to name just a few. It seems that all philological roads lead back to the first city built on this planet by our forefathers, Eridu, Bad Tibera, the metals processing center. The name Bad Tibera means city where the ores are processed. In the king list, it retained kingship for the longest time of all the cities almost half of the time recorded before the deluge, which indicates its primary importance among the cities. Sumerian Tibera 
is derived from the same Proto-Sumerian substrata word as Hebrew, Tubal, which means metal worker. This relationship is seen in Genesis, wherein Tubal Cain, the son of the patriarch Lamech, is credited with the invention of metals. Tubal Cain, who forged the various implements of copper and iron. Bad Tibira was the first strictly operational city built by Enki, and reflects why the Anunnaki came here to obtain and process certain metals, presumably gold and silver, and perhaps other rare metals. The king list... It was, uh, it was said, Christopher Sitchin said that it was to repair their atmosphere they needed those metals. ...signs Bat Tibera to Nugik, or Nugig, which means he of the bright sky, and was an epithet for Nanar, the favorite son of Enlil. Arriving by ship from the African mines, the ores would be processed at Batibira into a transportable form. I'm going to take a picture of this uh, security who's carrying a lamb on his back. Bah! Maybe to be uh, taken to slaughter, but there are these other ones, these other images of uh, like a procession of people bringing animals and um, that was to um, maybe because because they knew how to do genetic manipulation maybe they were collecting all the animals that existed or maybe bringing out the ones that they brought with them they must have brought some animals with them to seed the earth with their own uh, road favorite edibles. Larak, the control center. The name Laraka means see the bright light, and the third city assigned the kingship. Its name indicates its function, that of guiding the metal freighters arriving and leaving Mesopotamia. The king list has the city assigned to Pabil Sag meaning the Great Protector, and it was one of the titles of Ninorta, the military aide of Enlil, who recovered the Mies from the rebel Sun Tzu. Little is known of this city, and like that of Baktibira, has not been located archaeologically. Ninurta in Egypt was Ptah, Zu, or Marduk in Egypt was Amon-Ra, the Baal of the Bible. Sipar, the pla- So they just did a lot of, um said a lot of names and this Baal character how, how come we've never heard about this character I've, I never heard about this this, this uh, character until like past year or something Baal what the fuck is Baal I need to do a podcast on that taking a picture of a Lion biting the ass of a stag. Platform. The fourth city He's built was Sipar, or Bird City. It was the landing platform, especially for those hauling metal cargo. One of the Sumerian myths states that this city was built for the god Utu. What you know, here's some feedback. Um, you know, they should say where the present day, where this is in present day, that would really bring it on home, man. subscribe
um, suggestion. Okay, I'm doing podcast on this amazing documentary.